Well, for you coffee drinkers, I have a, a recipe for you for iced coffee. Four simple steps. Step one, have kids. Uh, step two, make coffee. Step three, forget you made coffee. Step four, drink it cold. So there you have it. Sometimes parenting, it does make you feel like you've lost your mind. Uh, humorist Irma Bombeck said, When my kids become wild and unruly, I use a nice, safe playpen. When they're finished, I climb out. <laughs> and that's funny to parents because parenting is challenging. Uh, someone said, Parenting was much easier when I was raising my non existent kid hypothetically. And that's about true. Many parents labor in parenting without knowing the ultimate goal of parenting. The ultimate goal of parenting must be clear for successful parenting. Is parenting all about raising uh, well-adjusted, moral, and upstanding children? Well, many parents would answer that yes and would be happy to achieve just that, but that's not the ultimate goal. I want to give you a bigger vision than that. Now, even parents who know the ultimate goal of parenting and are working hard to achieve it fail often. But if more parents could be absolutely convinced about and committed to the ultimate goal of parenting, then more parents would experience greater success and more kids would be blessed. Let's say I give you a bow and arrow and tell you that if you hit the target, I'll give you $1,000. You grab the bow and arrow, and without hearing the rest of my instructions, thwap right in the center of the bullseye. Okay, pastor, show me the money, right? And I say, not so fast. You didn't wait to hear what target I wanted you to shoot at. Now, here's my point. If parents are shooting at the wrong target, however good they are as parents, they're going to completely miss because they're shooting at the wrong target. Every parent is going to miss the target, but the parents facing in the wrong direction and shooting at the wrong target have no hope whatsoever of hitting the target. But the parents who shoot at the right target will hit that target more, even if they're not a perfect shot. So what's the ultimate goal of parenting. Well, whether you have no kids, young kids, teenage kids, adult kids, or grandkids, this is relevant for you. The ultimate goal of parenting is simple, to lead your children to find their greatest joy and pleasure in Jesus Christ above all things to the glory and worship of God. Here's another angle on that. The ultimate goal of parenting is to use God's law to help your children see their sin and desperate need of Christ and to communicate the gospel regularly to your children to give them Christ. Parenting is a relentless pursuit of helping children understand how they break God's law and deserve His judgment, how desperate they are for a Savior, how Jesus Christ is the only Savior who can rescue them from their sin and transform them into what God created them to be, and how the power of the Holy Spirit is their only hope to obey God and find true joy. We need to know as parents that law has no power to transform our children. The law simply exposes their sin and need of Jesus. Your kids need law. They need law, but they also need gospel, which is the power to transform their hearts. Therefore, your children need law and gospel parenting. 
law and gospel parenting. Our aim as parents, and this is, please catch this, our aim as parents is not to reform our children's behavior, making them into moral people. No, our aim is to see their hearts transformed by God's sovereign grace, making them lovers of God who obey God's law in order to express their love for God. That's very different. Do you want your children to be bitter, angry, fearful, selfish, and unsatisfied grumps in old age? Or do you want them to be truly joyful in old age? Then you need to shoot at the right target while they're young. Theodore Roosevelt, our 26th president, said very wisely, Old age is like everything else. To make a success of it, you've got to start young. Evangelist Dwight L. Moody said this, Preparation for old age should begin not later than one's teens. A life which is empty of purpose until 65 will not suddenly become filled on retirement. And many miserable old people are proving that exact thing. Do you know how to help your kids find true joy in their youth so that when they are old, they still have that joy? Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1 applied to parenting is the key here. Devote yourself to teaching your children how to remember their creator in the days of their youth. Devote yourself to teaching your children how to remember their creator in the days of their youth. First, I want to unpack verse 1. And then second... I want to relate several other truths from Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1, and my main point. What does Ecclesiastes 12, 1 mean? Well, listen to it again. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. To remember is to keep in your mind. It is to pay attention to. Instead of forgetting, you keep it in mind. And the old preacher said, remember also. Well, what else are we supposed to remember? Well, if you go back to chapter 11, verse 8, you hear the old preacher say this. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, all that comes is vanity. So remember that the dark days will come. Disappointment comes, heartache comes, struggle, pain, loss, and suffering come. Remember that all that comes is vanity, and remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. We remember the dark days to help keep us humble and dependent, and we remember our Creator to keep us hopeful and joyful. Creator. Think very carefully about that title. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created, same word, the heavens and the earth. This old wise king was talking about remembering God, the creator of everything, the one covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, and there's a lot of theology packed into that one title, creator. Today, we hear creator with Colossians 1.15 and 16 in mind. All things were created through Jesus Christ. And for Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes 12.1 calls youth to remember the one triune relational covenant God, Father, Son, and Spirit. 
With Genesis in mind, young people would be remiss not to also remember that they were created in the image and likeness of their creator, that their maleness and their femaleness, their sexuality is beautifully designed by their creator, that marriage is sacred and between one man and one woman as the creator intended it to be. They need Sabbath rest. That science reveals the glory of their creator. By remembering their creator in their youth, they are also remembering many, many interconnected and foundational truths of life. Young people, kids, teenagers, young people, this message is for you. Listen to this wise old man of Ecclesiastes, and parents, apply his wisdom and truth to your parenting. Here's the main point again. Parents, devote yourself to teaching your children how, how to remember their creator in the days of their youth. That's chapter 12, verse 1, applied to parenting. Second, I want to relate several other truths from Ecclesiastes to verse 1 and my main point. And as I was going through this, I came up with like 17 points, and I could have come up with more. But what I've done is I've narrowed it down to seven Seven points to help you know how to help your parents or your help your, well, that would be good too. How you help your kids remember their creator in the days of their youth. Number one, all is vanity. This point I think should be clear, okay? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I think he made that point in his book. And yet culture and society are telling you and are telling your kids that you should fill your life with endless entertainment and technology, abundant food and drink, as much money and possessions as you can grab, all the education and the esteem that you could possibly achieve. The world wants your children to believe that the pursuits and pleasures of this life are most significant. When in reality, apart from the purpose and pleasure of God infused into this life, all is vanity. All is vanity. Oftentimes, well-meaning parents actually help their children pursue and prioritize vanity. It's a widespread parenting goal to prioritize education, hard work, achievement, success, and wealth as preeminent pursuits and pleasures in life. When God, through the writer of Ecclesiastes, exposes all these things as vanity. The point is not that education, hard work, achievement, success, and wealth are bad pursuits and pleasures, but rather that fearing God and obeying His commands is the preeminent pursuit and pleasure, and all secondary pursuits and pleasures find their significance in the pursuit and pleasure of God. Do you understand that? As parents, we must realize that the pursuits and pleasures of this world will absolutely never satisfy our kids. They won't satisfy us. They won't satisfy our kids. Never. Ecclesiastes 5.10 is clear. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And then he added in chapter 6, verse 7, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Our parenting must be aimed at giving our children that which will truly satisfy them, namely, Christ and his sovereign word and will. Well, how do we do that? 
we can start by aiming our family toward remembering our Creator in everything, in the ordinary and extraordinary of life, in work and in play, at home and away. We must eat, drink, and sleep our Creator. All is vanity. Absolutely, yes, but not when their creator is the center of everything in their life. When our kids get good grades or hit home runs or get their first job, we must help them remember their creator in their successes. When our kids get bad grades or they strike out to lose the game or they get fired, we must help them remember their creator in their failures. This is an everyday quest. To help our kids see that all is vanity unless their creator is the center and purpose of it all. Number two, they must enjoy God's sovereign grace before they can truly enjoy life's pursuits and pleasures. We must help our children remember that their creator is sovereign. We must help them see that God is sovereign. Listen to Ecclesiastes 6, 1 and 2. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. So first, notice that God sovereignly gives wealth possessions, and honor, and he sovereignly grants desires. Second, notice where the power to enjoy them comes from. Chapter 6, verse 2 says, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, which suggests God either withholds or graciously gives the ability to enjoy wealth, possessions, and honor. God gives true joy. God gives the ability to enjoy life. Many rich people, they're miserable. Miserable. They have so much, but inside they don't have the ability to truly enjoy all that they have. Because, why? They don't remember their creator. Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider... God has made the one as well as the other. Do you understand that? God creates prosperity. God creates adversity. He is sovereign in both. If our kids are ever going to be truly joyful, they must see God's good and God's sovereign hand in their prosperity and in their adversity. And we must help them with that. Now, how do we do this? We intentionally point them to their creator in their pleasure and in their pain. We show them God's sovereignty and grace in the scripture. And then we help them apply it directly to their lives and their circumstances. Uh, Tears are opportunities to remind them of their creator. Smiles are opportunities to remind them of their creator. Give your kids law and gospel in their pleasure and in their pain so that their minds remember their creator. Your children will never truly enjoy life until they first enjoy God's sovereignty in their lives. Number three, gratitude will help them love God and enjoy life. 
All is, is vanity, yes, apart from fearing God, but there are abundant pursuits and pleasures in this life that God intends our kids to enjoy. And you must help them recognize God's goodness in those pursuits and pleasures and remind them to thank God. Eating, drinking, and finding enjoyment in work are from the hand of God. Straight out of the text, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. God blesses those who please him. It is good to be joyful and to rejoice in our work. The old preacher man said in Ecclesiastes 5, 18 and 19, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Enjoy food and drink as a family. Enjoy that. And, and if, as parents, you're not enjoying meals with your kids, I'll just say, flat out, you're missing a wonderful opportunity to delight not only in your kids, but to help them be trained for gratitude and joy in God. It's a wonderful opportunity. So if your kids, if they work hard and they get that grade or they make that team or, or they earn that paycheck, if they save up and they buy something good or they end up giving money away or something or buy a gift for others, we can actually help them remember that their creator gave it all to them in the first place. And if they know that, now the door is open in their heart, perhaps, if God so pleases, for much gratitude. They know where it came from. It wasn't their hard work. It's God's grace. So it's, it's sad to me. Many young people, children, teenagers, they're miserable. They're miserable. You can see it in their faces. Just be around them a little bit. They're miserable. They aren't grateful to God at all because of the sin in their heart. I mean, it's, they're focused on themselves, but there's also another contributing reason because their parents have taught them to be ungrateful. They grew up in ungrateful families that fueled the ingratitude already in their hearts. One of my favorite parts of the Heidelberg Catechism is questions 27 and 28, which explain that the providence of God is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with his hand he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. That's good. God sovereignly gives pleasure and God sovereignly gives pain. And then the Heidelberg asked, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? And the answer is profound. We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall, shall separate us from his love, for all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Show them God's sovereignty in their pleasure and in their pain. So they can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and confident 
Oh, I love that imagery. Confidence in God's faithfulness, love, and sovereignty. Uh, You can encourage them, and doing what I'm talking about here will encourage them to love God and to enjoy life. Childhood ingratitude leads to sullenness and cynicism in old age. Take time to sit with your kids and count the blessings. And then be sure you give thanks to God Uh, together. You'll be a happier family if you do this. Complaining bleeds joy out of life and is, quite frankly, blasphemous. It is. It is blasphemous. It should have no place in a Christian home. Fight ingratitude in your home. It is the enemy of joy. Instead, constantly encourage thankfulness. We need much grace for this because you find in your own heart that you're just not grateful. We don't want to show our kids that. We want to show them more than that. By God's grace to be so thankful. Writer James Baldwin, he said this, Children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. Number four, they are sinful. Tenderly and lovingly help your kids see their sinfulness. Use God's law to carefully now expose their sin, then quickly give them gospel and the hope of transformation in Christ. Many parents naively think that their kids are good kids. I don't understand that. I don't have good kids, and I wasn't a good kid. They applaud almost everything about their kids, and their thunderous applause and approval drowns out the law and the gospel. Other parents drown out the law and gospel by discouraging, disparaging, and outright bullying their children without loving affection and affirmation. Folks, it takes love, biblical wisdom, and gentleness to help your kids see their sinful nature, to help them understand that the real problem is within their own hearts. Our kids must know that their behavior is not the primary problem and it is not our primary concern as their parents. Their heart is. Behavior modification is the wrong target. We must aim for the gospel to transform their hearts. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says this, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So, God created Adam and Eve upright. And what did they do? They rebelled and they sinned against God. They sought out many schemes. Ecclesiastes 8.11 adds, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Our hearts and our kids' hearts are fully set on doing evil. We've got to get this right. Uh, we, we have to trust Christ in what he's saying. The remedy isn't law, it's gospel. It's gospel. When our children's hearts are transformed by the gospel, they end up obeying God because they love him. Their heart has been transformed. We must give our kids law, absolutely, and we must give them gospel. Uh, Parents, I want to encourage you in a big area of parenting that I need constant encouragement in. I'm just bad at this. 
Our main focus should never be our child's behavior. No, 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 no. Their behavior is symptomatic of a much deeper problem, their heart. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These defile a person, Jesus clearly said. They fight with their siblings because their hearts are sinful. They, they, They cheat because their hearts are sinful. They rebel because their hearts are sinful. We must lovingly and gently help them trace their wicked behavior right back to the problem of sin in their hearts. Allow God's law to convict your children and then give them Christ in the gospel. And then ask and trust the Spirit to bring about life change. Do you think you're going to change them? Nope. That's a frustrating, awful, miserable existence as a parent. You're not going to change them. Give them law and give them gospel and trust Christ to change them. Amen? This applies to social media addiction, pornography, laziness, gossip, bullying, selfishness, violence, whatever, fill in the blank. We use God's law to help our kids see their sinfulness and need of Jesus and we teach them the gospel repeatedly, hopefully every day, to help them know how to receive God's mercy and grace and favor by faith alone in Christ alone. Instead of yelling, instead of overlooking, because sometimes it's just, it's tiring, right? I got to deal with this again? Instead of yelling, instead of overlooking, apply law and gospel parenting. Take them to the root of the problem, the sin in their own hearts, and then help them remember their creator. And that he loves them despite their sin. And will give them what they need by his grace as they trust him. Number five, they will die and leave everything behind. Now, this takes tenderness and age-appropriate wisdom, but our children must know that they are not invincible. They will die, and they will meet their maker. The old wise king said in chapter 1, verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes. He added in Ecclesiastes three nineteen and 20, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. That's a wake-up call for little kids. Son, you're going to die. Daughter, you're going to die. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe in 90 years. But you will die. He added in Ecclesiastes 9.5, for the living know that they will die. The reality of death must humble your kids, and it just may prompt gratitude for every day that they're given. All right, our kids will leave all the music behind, all the fashion, the events, the fads, the trends, the gadgets, the accolades, the memories. They'll leave it all behind. They take nothing with them. They will die and take none of it with them. And this is not meant to make us as parents calloused or cruel, nor to encourage us to withhold good things from them. No, I'm not giving you bread. You can't take it with you. You see what I'm saying? That's not good parenting. You're just a jerk. 
All right? That's not what I'm saying here. It's simply to encourage us to help our kids understand the truth of Ecclesiastes 5.15. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. Help your kids understand that none of what they think is so cool today will go with them when they die. None of it. And help them to see that Christ is better. Christ is a longer-lasting pleasure. There is more to find in Him. A a conversation about death with our kids is an opportunity to comfort them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't suggest that you go into your kid's room late at night and say, you know you're going to die, right? That's not what I'm advocating. That's bad parenting. God will provide you, I believe, teachable moments and the Spirit shows you that, and, and now you know, i gotta, I got to humble my kids a little bit here and point them to hope in Christ. He'll give you teachable moments to discreetly explain death in an age-appropriate way, but be sure to quickly take them from death to ultimate eternal life in Christ. Don't just dwell on death. That's morbid and sick. Get them to Christ and life in Him. Six. Number six. They need God's word in corporate worship. Consider chapter 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Let me just say, be careful when you go to church. Be careful. Families go to church at least sometimes and they think they're doing good, but they're actually doing evil by offering to God the sacrifice of fools. They sing, they pray, they go through the religious motions together, but they have no heart for God. These families came not to listen, but to feel good about themselves. It's empty, it's not worship, and God hates it. He wants our hearts and He wants our love. We must teach our children why we go to church together. We go to the house of God together to hear God. We go to corporate worship together because we love God and we want to listen to His Word. It's not dead ritual. It's not dead orthodoxy. It's it's going, anticipating, hearing God's beautiful voice in the Scriptures rightly taught. Our children must know that church is where they hear God. And that when they listen to His Word read and when they listen to His Word preached, they are in a uniquely God-ordained way pursuing their greatest joy in their Creator. Take them to church to be with God. If your family is all about religious ritual, void of true passion for God, you are helping your kids blaspheme God and leading them away from hope of true joy. The wise old preacher said, of God's word now, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. That's God. Then he added, my son, beware of anything beyond these Collected sayings, wise sayings, God's shepherdly words. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Now, you may want the university for your children. You may want grad school for your children. You may want a doctorate for your children, but do you want them to know God? 
through his word more than anything else. The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 2 verse 6. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 111 verse 10. Christ is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.24. They don't need degrees to find true wisdom. They need Christ as he is revealed in Scripture and corporate worship. What's happening here is infinitely more important than what happens in our schools. Infinitely. You can't even measure it. And I am not downgrading education. I'm huge on it. We have our kids run, read a slew of books, and I'm so glad they want to read. But this is infinitely more valuable, that they know God, that they hear from God. Keats can't give them that. Shakespeare can't give them that. Dawkins can't give them that. Their science textbook can't give them that. Now, Reformed theologians talk about the ordinary means of grace, which primarily refer to the reading and preaching of God's Word, the public administration of the sacraments, and prayer. Ordinary means of grace. These ordinary means of grace are the Bible-prescribed and primary means of spiritual growth for your children, the means of grace. If you want your kids to find true joy and to remember their creator in the days of your youth, you should be fanatical about having your kids sit beneath the reading and preaching of God's word in corporate worship. Fanatical about having them participate in the sacraments. Fanatical about getting them around the prayers of God's people. As parents, we must trust God's ordinary means of grace to transform our kids. A big problem is many parents, they doubt the power and the effect of God's ordinary means of grace while turning to other things, hoping those other things will transform their kids. But there's no power in those other things. This only leads to trial and error parenting, which is not what you want to do. It leads to being duped by mainstream parenting methods and fads, busyness, anxiety, depression, despair, and it goes on and on, the pressures that parents feel. Listen, God knows how hearts are changed. He knows how our child's heart is going to be changed. He's given his people gracious, and get this, supernatural methods Parents need to put their confidence in the means of grace which God has graciously given for their good and their children's good. What better way to help your kids remember their creator in the days of their youth than to take them with you every week to the house of their creator to hear from him and to be transformed by his grace? It's not just about getting your kids to church. It's about seeing God's ordinary means of grace transform their hearts. You as a parent, do you put your faith and confidence in what God says transforms your child's heart? Do you? Or are you trusting something else that like, well, maybe this will work. Maybe this will be the one thing that that turns the light on for them. No, it's not going to be. It will be God's ordained means of grace for your child. This takes God's sovereign grace. It takes a movement of his spirit. It takes something that you yourself cannot give them. And you can't bear that responsibility. It takes God's grace. But you know what? It also takes good parenting. You have to do it. The last one is straight out of last week. Seven, fear God, obey his commandments, and remember his judgment. 
So I don't want to rehash last week. So just apply last week's message to your parenting. Devote yourself to helping your kids fear God, obey his commandments, and remember his just judgment. Parents, you face many challenges and, and struggles and fears. I sent an email out this week to some parents, and I got some, some good responses. One dare, uh, dad shared this challenge. Showing them, teaching them to trust in God's sovereign plan for them. That dad is aiming at the right target. Uh, But he knows how challenging hitting that target is. One mom shared this fear. She said, Mostly I fear that my sinfulness will get in the way of my children's ability to see Christ modeled in our home. And then another mom echoed, I fear that my sin and shortcomings will taint the beauty of Christ in their eyes. One couple shared this. We both are feeling that we really struggle and pray for patience a lot. And they admitted getting angry. A mom shared very insightfully, I struggle to remain focused on their heart attitudes instead of focused only on their outward actions. Parenting is demanding. Parenting is challenging. Parents, when we consider all the challenges, struggles, and fears facing us, and we consider the seven points uh, and many more demands of Scripture upon us as parents, we notice that good parenting is beyond us. It's just well beyond our capabilities. We shoot and miss, shoot and miss, shoot and miss, shoot and miss, but then by God's grace and the Holy Spirit at work in us, we hit the target. We miss a few times again, and then we hit the target twice. And as we're shooting at the ultimate bullseye, receiving God's help by faith, God directs our arrows to the right target, and we hit it sometimes. More and more we hit it, and God smiles on us, and God gives us blessings, and God gives us grace when we need it. We receive so much grace as parents. And it's assuring for us and it's motivating for us to know that God uses our feeble efforts to accomplish his will. He works through us as parents. Unbelievable. No, we don't have the ability to change our parents or change our children's hearts, but we do have the ability to aim at law and gospel parenting accomplished by our faith in Christ. We can't change them, we can't mold, but we can give them the means of change and trust God to do it. If you're exhausted, if you're frustrated, if you're fearful, if you're discouraged, maybe if you're all of them, fix your eyes on Christ and trust him as parents. Trust that his method of law and gospel parenting is effective to reach even your children with whatever, I don't care how old they are or what issue they're going through, He can reach them. Jesus is able to help you do all of the things and more that we've talked about. He is your creator, and you can do them well. So remember your creator in your parenting challenges, struggles, and fears, and thank him for his grace, and trust that his grace will motivate you to shoot well at the ultimate target and to hit it by his grace and by his spirit. You can do what God has called you to do. Devote yourself to teaching your children how to remember their creator in the days of their youth. Father, I pray for our parents now. So many of us in here are parents, not everybody, 
but the majority, and I ask, God, that your grace and your peace and your comfort and your motivation would be with us, that we could parent our really young kids, our teenage kids, our adult kids, our grandkids, however old our kids are, God, I pray that we would apply the principles of this message by your Spirit, by your grace, and that we would trust the law to expose their sin and the gospel to give them Christ, and that we would trust you to transform them. So God, give us great patience. Thank you for giving us your, your word and for giving it to us straight. In Jesus' name, amen.